What's up, Playlisters? Brian from Playlist Wars here. Just want to let you know that while this show is on hiatus, both Gomez and I have separate shows that are part of the Playlist Wars extended universe, if you will. Gomez has the Sleevy G Show, which you can find at SleevyGPodcasts.com. And I have a new show entitled My Weekly Mixtape, which you can find over at MyWeeklyMixtape.com. Both shows are also available on all podcast platforms just by searching Sleevy G Show or My Weekly Mixtape. And Playlist Wars will be back soon. Thank you guys so much for your continued support of the show. This is Playlist Wars. Welcome to Playlist Wars. I'm part of the dynamic duo. My name is Gomez, and I have my partner in crime, Brian Colburn. And also, we have a special guest from I and Love This Record, Derek Caribou. Welcome, guys. What's up? What's up? Hello. I'm very excited to have Derek on the podcast today as I have been a guest on IF and Love This Record to talk about the Cars self-titled album. If you've heard our Cars episode, it's obvious how much I love that album. But today we're not talking about the Cars. We're talking about one of the most dangerous bands in rock and roll history. Derek, why don't you fill everyone in on who we're talking about today and more importantly, why you're excited to talk about them. Today we're going to be talking about Motley Effin' Crew. Uh, this was a band that I loved when I was a kid. Uh, my my buddy Mark Evers is going to be listening to the show, and he likes to make fun of me saying that Motley Crew is my all-time favorite band, which is not actually the case, but uh, you know, so then I always turn it around and call him Mr. Green Jeans. It's an inside joke from a long time ago, uh, and I'm happy to be able to, to share that with your audience because it's going to drive him just a little bit crazy. But yeah, so from, right, let's say about right. yeah, 83 to 88, Motley Crue was one of my favorite bands. Awesome. Uh, Brian, why don't we uh, discuss what's going to happen today? Yeah, the show format here is pretty simple. Tonight, our topic is Motley Effin' Crew, as Derek said, Woo-hoo. and we've each created a playlist with our top 10 favorite songs from the band. We're going to go through each pick one by one, and after the episode, we turn it over to the listeners who could vote via the link in our show notes to decide which one of the three of us got it right. In those same show notes, you can also listen to each of our playlists just in case you want to quote-unquote here where we're coming from with our choices so without further ado derek our esteemed guest why don't you kick things off by letting us know why brandon is your track one from motley crew <laughs> wow by the way derek we do bash each other's lists here a little bit I, i've listened to the show uh, a few times before i give my number one i just want to say one thing because i listened to your poison episode and two of the people on that episode, somehow Motley Crue came up in conversation and mentioned that the self-titled album was definitely the best record. So those of you who are living in this alternate universe where uh, Shadow of the Devil doesn't exist, uh, I just have to know, was Donald Trump also president in your universe? Because I was hoping that you know, if you didn't get the awesomeness that was Shadow of the Devil, I was hoping you also missed out on that tragedy. But all right, so we're going <laughs> to go ahead and get started. <laughs> I approached my playlist like I was putting together actually a record. And so I went through and I thought of what do I want on a 10-track record? And you know, the the types of songs that were going to be in each one. And as our brothers over at uh, uh, Records Revisited like to talk about, you want that big open. You want that punch in the face. You know, sometimes they do different things, but I'm getting to put together this record. So I go for the big open, the punch in the face, but also I want to leave it with somewhere to go. So my first track 
is Take Me to the Top from the debut record Too Fast for Love. All right. All right. Uh, you know, this one, it opens with a, a simple but effective uh, drums. Uh, just this, the opening riff is great. And then it settles into this groove. I think Mick Mars is an underappreciated guitar player. And, you know, listening to these first four records, especially, you know, he really has a different approach, a different guitar sound for each record, though still is somewhat identifiably him. And I know it's always, you know, people used to kind of slag off on him because, oh, I could play everything he does on one string or whatever, but it's still, it sounds great. He sounds great on, especially those first two records. He just, he just has a great, great guitar sound. And I need to say great at least one more time there. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it settles into a groove. It's a, it's a, it's a nice big open. It leaves some room for the band to go somewhere else. And I just, you know, I love that first record so much. And that's why that's my open. Solid open. Did not make my list though, unfortunately. Hmm. Yeah, this one unfortunately did not make my list because Derek, I see where you're going with your approach. I took my approach as kind of a career spanning concert, if you would say. Okay. And I wanted to have a little bit from every era. And there's some eras of Motley Crue that it's almost hard to choose from. But I also wanted to kind of diversify my tracks to kind of spread it out throughout the years. And while I love the feel of Too Fast for Love and the sound, it was definitely a, it was ahead of its time when it came out. And it was really one of those albums that helped usher in glam metal to a much more mainstream audience. And songs like this are part of that reason. If you didn't have this, you were never getting a shout at the devil because people really gravitated to this first album. And it almost, uh, I don't know if, if a lot of people feel this way, but I feel like there's a punk element to the first album that doesn't necessarily span across all of their albums. And I, I, to me, it's much more evident in songs like take me to the top and a few others that we're going to talk about a little later on, I'm sure, but sadly did not make my list, but it's a fantastic opener. Thank you very much. And I would agree with that kind of that punk. It's got that punk energy while still having a metal sound. Yes, very much so. Gomez, why don't you tell us your track one? Okay, so for my track one, before I start, Brian and I had a discussion the other night. I cannot use the movie The Dirt. Yeah, you're not allowed to reference The Dirt in every single song. That That's automatic disqualification, man. <laughs> yes, it is. So I'm, I'm not going to use The Dirt at all. There's a couple of movies, but I'm not mentioning it right off. Well, actually, yeah, there is one movie already in my number one. So track one, <laughs> Kickstart My Heart. First of all, it's got to be one of the greatest guitar entries I've ever heard. It just makes you hyper, gets you go crazy. You're looking to have fun. And that was actually in two of my favorite movies, which is kind of funny. Everyone who loves Hot Tub Time Machine mm -hmm. uh, with all them, uh, pretty much. I think Hot Tub Time Machine had a couple of uh, Mon uh, Molly Cruz uh, songs in that, that movie. But also did not realize it was in Talladega Nights. Yeah, Ricky Bobby, and I forgot about that. <laughs> and another ultimate classic movie. Um, that's my beginning. I wanted to punch somebody in the face, and I thought Kickstart My Heart was the one one way to start it off. Oh, well, I see your opening your playlist, and I follow up with closing my playlist with Kickstart My Heart. That is my track 10. The second single off of Dr. Feel Good. It has been a live staple since it came out. Obviously, the song has been long connected to Nikki Six's overdose incident. That was graphically depicted in the movie The Dirt. Oh, yeah. But I feel like this song 
encapsulates what Motley Crue is. It's got a little bit of that sleaze. It's got the punk energy. It's got the metal. It's got the hard rock. It's another monster Nikki Six riff. You said this earlier, Derek, and I'm going to echo what you're saying and maybe take it a step further. I feel like Mick Mars is the most underrated member of Motley Crue and certainly the most underappreciated because his riffs throughout my playlist, at least, are all, to me, monster riffs. And you would not have a Motley Crue sound without his style of guitar playing. I know people sometimes pick on it, but damn, the people that pick on it, I haven't heard anything better out of them. So, I mean, the opening riff to Kickstart My Heart is a monster. Obviously, I like to bring in my cover versions, and there's not many good cover versions of this song. There are cover versions. I never knew there was any, Brian, because no one could really pull it off. Well, look, there's an album called Nashville Outlaws, a tribute to Motley Crue. I actually kind of enjoyed the album. The band was part of the process, but Rascal Flatts covered Kickstart My Heart, and it literally sounds like a bad karaoke version. So I do not recommend you go listen to it because it is in no way, shape or form good. It doesn't bring anything to the original and it sounds phoned in. So, but at the time they were one of the biggest bands in country. So it's no shock that they were on that tribute album, but the song itself, it's just a fantastic tune and it's a great Motley Crue tune. So yeah, that's my track 10. Derek did kickstart my heart, make your list for a first trifecta of the day. It did. It did. So this is the lone number from Dr. Feelgood that I, so this was kind of on my list and off my list about four or five different times. I'm not a big fan of Dr. Feelgood. Uh, I do like this song. So I have this one at number three, uh, which is where I would put my single. So we had the the big open for number one. When we get to number two, I'll tell you what, you know, my, what my thought process was for that one. But, uh, you know, doing the podcast, I, I effing love this record. Just hearing all these great records all the time, you realize that song three is often either a ballad and or a single. And so this is where I decided to put my single with uh, Kickstart My Heart. Because uh, it's it's commercial, but it's got some bite to it. And it's probably the only song I, I, I can stand from uh, Dr. Feelgood. <laughs> wow. All right. So spoiler alert there. Moving on to my track one. I started the playlist with my favorite song from the band. It is one of the songs that I worked out to from eighth grade all the way through college. I listened to it before every time I suited up to play a football game. Anytime I worked out, anytime I run to this day, this is on my workout list. It's my favorite McMars riff. Tommy Lee is doing some brutal drumming in this song. And it's just quite frankly, the best parts of Motley Crue in a song. And it's the opening track from Girls, 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 and it's Wild Side. I absolutely love this song. It's my favorite Motley Crue riff. I just, everything about this tune is perfect Motley Crue. Exactly what you expect from them. And this one just psychs me up, man. That's as simple as that. This one just gets me going. If this was a psych up mix, this is the way to hit the ground running with it. And as far as cover versions go, I mentioned that Nashville Outlaws, a tribute to Motley Crue. Gretchen Wilson covers Wild Side on it. What? 
Yeah. And you would not expect the singer of Redneck Woman to be able to belt this out. But this woman can sing rock and roll. I've heard her do Barracuda by heart and she slays it. And she does a damn fine job nailing the rock side of Wild Side with a little bit of a country flair to it. And it's no shock that I do like country music. So I, I don't have a problem with this version. The Rascal Flats version to kickstart my heart. Not the same. But Wild Side is definitely one of those tracks that immediately grabs your attention. And that's the way I wanted to kick things off. Track one. Okay, well, this is actually my track two. All right. Uh, so I always think, you know, when you're when you're listening to a record, as we said, you want that big punch for an open. And then I think track two often tells you a lot more about what the record is going to be. Uh, so, you know, do you, do you fall back a little bit? Uh, do you do something a little bit strange or do you go forward? This is Motley Effing Crew. We're going forward, going wild side. So we had that big open uh, with Take Me to the Top. We're going to follow it up with you know, maybe one of their heaviest songs, uh, the absolute best song off of Girls, 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 Hands Down. Oh, yeah. It's just got a nasty little riff to open it up. Just fantastic Tommy Lee drums. Uh, you know, when you want big, dumb rock and roll drums, you call Tommy Lee. Yeah. And that's what you're getting from this one. And, you know, throughout, it's like you talked about how Mick Mars is probably the least rated of the band or whatever. Um, I'd say he's the most underrated. Uh, most member. underrated thing. You know, yeah. and I, I think that Tommy Lee is properly rated as just a fantastic rock and roll drummer. You know, he's probably not technically perfect. I'm not a musician. I don't know any of that stuff. But when you want big in your face drums, you know, and that was, you saw that all through the, the 90s. If, if you hunted a big, dumb rock track, you called Tommy Lee or Dave Grohl. Now, you know, that was it. Those are the two, those are the two guys on your speed dial. And you can see why on this track. And I, I just, I'm not a big fan of, of Vince Neil's voice. I think he is the weak link to this band, uh, especially live. Uh, but the way he just sneers out these vocals is fantastic. This is what you want from Vince Neil. And this is one, one of those times when he really does pull it off. And I, I love the lyrics to this one, uh, you know, the, the, the background vocals and everything. This is just, this is a big, great rock and roll track. And it's my number two. Well, it looks like we got another trifecta, boys. All right. It's the song I close with my track list. Ooh, so nice. we, you and I literally flip-flopped on <laughs> one in ten here. Yes, we interesting. did. Interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. So I ended it. it when I, If I'm thinking concert, I'm thinking, what is the one song everyone wants to hear at the end of a show? I thought Wild Side was that. Yes, as Brian, I used to listen to this while I was lifting, too. You're right. Vince does hit this song correctly. Out of the ten that I picked, I thought this was his best one he sings. It's just one of those powerlifting, drive really fast, or beat the heck out of somebody. This is one <laughs> song you want to hear. So, Gomez, before you beat somebody up, do you, like, say, hold on one minute, sir, and you pull out your phone, and you <laughs> scroll to it, and you hit play? Yeah, I have And then to. when the song starts, then you just start pounding on them? <laughs> yeah, the this works? that's how it's going to have to work, yes, because with now with iPhones, you could easily click it, and you go, hey, time out, like Zach Morris, time out, wild side, please, time in, boom, beat the crap out of somebody. <laughs> No, well, you know, it's kind of funny. It comes down to, you know, the movie I wanted to talk about back in 87, like Father Like Son, Kirk Cameron, Dudley Moore. Wow, that is a deep dive, Gomez. I know it is because it was. this is what, every time I hear this song, it reminds me of the end of this movie where Kirk Cameron beats the crap out of the bully with one punch. 
it's the greatest part. And, it, and then you hear the guitar, the drums, and then they're running uh, to go try to save his father's job or something. It was just one of those great movies. And it, this is how I wanted to close my my track list. And this was my number 10. Interesting that we flip flopped one and 10 there. I, I like where this is going, but now we're up to you, Gomez. So we'll stick with you for track two. So track two, I went with Dr. Feelgood. You know, I know Derek said he didn't like the whole album. Probably second best song in that whole album, I think. And no, there's no movies to this one. Yeah, I was just about to say, I, I can't think of any movies that had this. But no, look, I'm going to go on a limb here because of after what Derek said about Kickstart My Heart. Derek, I'm going to guess that Dr. Feelgood didn't make your list. It did not. It's an okay song. It's, uh, you know, if... If I had to choose another song from that record, it probably would have been this one. I mean, it's 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 poppy and it's okay. It's got a decent guitar sound, but it's just, uh, yeah, no, did not make my list. Okay, so unfortunately, we're not going to see a trifecta here, but Gomez, you and I are on the same page because that is my track three. Wow. <laughs> and look, Dr. Feelgood gets a lot of flack. It's their most popular album, and it's their only album to hit number one on the Billboard charts. So this is the album that everybody gravitates to. They did a whole anniversary tour around this album. It's got most of their highest charting hits. But with that popularity comes almost a too cool for school view of the album by hardcore Motley Crue fans. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, because I do feel there are other albums that are better than Dr. Feelgood. But there's a reason why this song never leaves their live sets. The song friggin' rocks. And it's a great kickoff to a while more polished, decent Motley Crue album. And I'm not saying that as a negative by saying decent. I feel like there's some songs on it that may be a little too polished and a little too poppy for my liking. But this one and Kickstart My Heart being the two that I've chosen from Dr. Feelgood. This will be the last time I'm talking about the album. Same here. Those are your two high points from this album. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. As, as much as I, I'm not a big fan. Uh, yeah, I mean, th this this song has its charms. I mean, it, it really does. And, uh, you know, this also could have fit in my number three in place of Kickstart My Heart. I just think Kickstart My Heart is just a, a much better song. It is a better song. I will give it that. Now, as far as cover versions go, none that I would ever talk about. However, Weird Al had it in Poke Your Eyes Out from Off the Deep End, and that's pretty cool to mention. Anytime you make a Weird Al polka, you've got a pretty cool song. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> all right, I'll give you that. All right, moving on. My track two. This one's a different one, and I don't know if this would be considered a deep cut or not because it was a single, but it was from Decade of Decadence, 8191. And it's the thunderous tune known as Primal Scream. This is one of those songs that, along with Wild Side, lived in my workout mixes all through high school and college. The opening bass line that Nikki Six is laying down over these thunderous Tommy Lee drums. And then you add in Mick Mars with the sliding guitar. It's different. It's a little grittier. And when you listen to the self-titled album, you could hear elements in it on Primal Scream. And you could tell the self-titled album was where they were headed when they released Primal Scream. I don't know if I can hear Vince Neil singing the songs on the self-titled album, but this one, I don't know if I can hear John Karabi singing because it fits Vince Neil's vocals well. And it's a fantastic song. 
And I actually break out Decade of Decadence often as a go-to Motley Crue album because it's got a great mix of all their stuff, a couple of fun covers, including um, the one from the Make a Difference Foundation album and their cover of Anarchy in the UK. And it's just got a good mix of some of their best stuff. So yeah, Primal Scream is my track too. I actually got tuned, did not make my list. Sorry, Brian. All right. It was, how can I say, it was a hard choice, but um, I, I couldn't go with it. I totally forgot about that song. I didn't listen to any of the greatest hits packages <laughs> when preparing for this. And until you, I'm like, I remember that title and I just was listening to it for a second there. And uh, I don't know if it would have made mine uh, either way, but no, I, I that was, that was stuff down the memory hole. I forgot that one. And, you know, cause you, you, you bring up uh, the, cause, and actually even on uh, Spotify here in Poland, um, decade of decadence isn't available. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. So I didn't even, I didn't even see that one. And, uh, you know, and I hate their cover of anarchy in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was fun. I, I, I took it, you know, it was what it was. I don't know. It's, it's, you know, a Megadeth's version of it is terrible. Their version of it is terrible. I'm not even a big fan of the sex pistols. Like I don't, you know, it's, I, so I'm not coming at it from a purist thing. I just, yeah, I've never heard a good cover of that song. Ah, poor Johnny Rotten. Well, Derek, your track three was Kickstart My Heart, and mm-hmm. my track three was Dr. Feelgood. So, Gomez, we're up to you with your track three. So, uh, my track three, it's actually Looks That Kills. I don't know what it was about this song with Molly Crew. Oh, wait, can I help you with that? It's f- awesome is what it was. Anyway, go it, on. Well, it is, it is. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't need a, a movie or anything with this song. It just stands on its own. You know, actually kind of going to take a little playbook out of Brian. It was covered by Diesel Boy by, uh, with a CD, uh, Punk Goes Metal. But I know uh, Static X covered it, too. It was actually one of their albums, I think. You're stepping on my cover songs, dude. That's not cool. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, I, once in, you, you pulled the movie once in a while. Ah, man. Someone was looking at Wikipedia today. No, oh, actually, God. I was looking at Wikipedia three weeks ago. <laughs> but it was also in uh, Guitar Hero 5. And um, also, for all you video game guys, it was also in Grand Theft Auto Vice City, too. All right. So I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Derek? Uh, so this is my song, Eight. So now on a regular album, song eight of a t- out of 10 track, this is where you could probably hide a bad song or not the best song. But since we have everything to pick from, I'm just, I wanted to go with a flat out rocker for track eight. And my only note for this song is this effing rocks. That's all I have <laughs> because that's what this song does. Uh, so this is, I think, one of their first big singles. Uh, so, you know, obviously with the first record, uh, did, it did okay, but Shout Out the Devil was really what started to get them into the conversation. And this was one of the one of the videos that they had had and uh, one of the first things I remember hearing from the band. And this is just a great, great song. And Derek, I like the way you think because Looks That Kill is my track eight as well. Nice. Wow. This is one of the two singles from Shout at the Devil. It's been a live staple. It will always be a live staple. You talked about the music video. That was that post-apocalyptic, almost Mad Max type music video for the song. It's up there probably as one of the band's most memorable. Mm -hmm. And at the time, it was kind of a controversial video as well, just for the imagery and stuff, because MTV when they used to play videos, which we've said many a times on this show, this was one of those ones that kind of raised eyebrows because it was just 
a little bit more gritty and dark than some of the other content that you were getting on MTV. And there is some controversy surrounding this song as a whole because Dokken has a song called Young Girls with damn near an identical riff to the song. I mean, they are damn near identical. And there are some people that have called out Motley Crue because Motley Crue's Looks That Kill came out two years after Young Girls from Dokken. So a little bit of controversy, but like, I don't know. If you listen to the two back-to-back, kind of makes you raise your eyebrow a little bit, but it doesn't take away from the fact that even if it was a ripped-off riff, so to speak, Looks That Kill is just a better song. Motley Crue slayed it with this one. And I can have both of those songs on my playlist. I don't get offended by it. I think they're both good tunes, but it's just a great rock song and and just one of the best on Shout at the Devil. You know what would have been funnier, though, Brian? You what? guys had him at number eight. Literally, as Derek was talking about his other track, I swapped it out at the last second. <laughs> you got to stop playing with your playlists during the show, no, man. No, because it's not set. it's not set in stone until I mentioned it. <laughs> and it was technically was my number eight too until I swapped it out. Oh man, you've been flip flopping mid show here. I I don't know. I'm gonna I'm sticking with mine. I once I pick my track list, I'm all in on it. I trust my track lists. Do you really? <laughs> do, do we really have to bring that up again? Uh, hey, look, I don't have any Motley Crue Christmas songs in this. Because Motley so. Crue did not make any Christmas songs because they were all drugged up and drunk. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> Derek, track four. <laughs> So now, typically, track four is once again. If if your track three is a is a ballad, then track four would be, let's say, a single or vice versa. Normally, I would put a ballad here at, at number four, but this is Molly Crew, so uh, we're just going to slow it down a touch, and we're going to go with "Too Young to Fall in Love." All right. Uh, so this spent a lot of time as my number three, as my let's say my single, but I felt I had to at least have one track from Doctor Feelgood, so I, I swapped it out. Uh, actually today it would have been number three if we didn't if we would have actually recorded last week <laughs> i think this is a perfect 80s metal tune you had asked something about that for your other show brian about you know your favorite song from 80s metal your you know and this was my choice you know it's got again the, the just the big dumbass drums it's got the dodgy lyrics it's got the groove it's got the riffs um this was the other single from shout of the devil uh and I think a slightly better song than, than the other one we just talked about, but not by much. I love this song. I have this at my number four. Awesome. Derek, I literally have your opinion of Too Young to Fall in Love flip-flopped because I was basically torn between which one of those two songs I wanted in my slot eight and Looks That Kill to Me just edged out Too Young to Fall in Love ever so slightly. Mm. But that riff is just oh. dirty, man. That riff is effing perfect for this song really i mean yeah i have to go take a shower every after i hear it you know it's that dirty exactly exactly but sadly did not make my list because it just got edged out by looks to kill gomez to be honest with you, i did not hear that one song uh as much as i listened to almost all through the albums i uh, i didn't make it to that one you didn't make it to too young to fall in love no uh i kind of was going to the songs i really wanted to hear on and my you didn't list. make it to too young to fall in love <laughs> no nope. i i really went with the songs that i knew and i kind of that i always and you didn't to. go to too young to fall in love <laughs> nope it did not make my list i'm sorry boys it was not uh on my priority list well as far in the spirit of playlist wars i think derek thanks you for that so <laughs> <laughs> gomez track four 
So track four, I went with Down at the Whiskey. It was, and I get to say it because I did not mention anything yet. They come out of the movie The Dirt. It was one of those songs that I heard. <laughs> and that's the only time I'm mentioning it. So I have okay. not mentioned the yeah. movie. Listening to the lyrics, it's you could tell it's just like they want to go back to the drinking and the ways, but they're not. They're trying to stick to what they're believing in their life right now. And I think one of their good songs from Saints of Los Angeles out of their 2008 album. That's one of my almost go-to songs. I just truly thought it was one of their better songs out of that album. Saints of Los Angeles is probably the best post-self-titled output that the band has had. Anything after self-titled, this is probably the crowning achievement of the three albums that followed it. Down at the Whiskey did not make my list, but it's one of the go-to tracks when I listened through that album. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't say it would even be an honorable mention for me because there's just so many other eras of the band that I wanted to capture on my list but it's definitely a song that i would not skip when listening to that album and there are a few skippable songs on saints of los angeles but that wasn't one of them uh nothing from saints of los angeles made my list uh so i I listened to it just one time through before finalizing my list i knew nothing was going to make it but i wanted to hear it because uh i hadn't actually listened to it before and it wasn't terrible like uh, some of the other records at this point. Uh, you know, anything past the self-titled because, you know, Generation Swine was awful. It was so bad. Mm. If anybody chose something <laughs> from that album, I will apologize to you, but I won't mean it because that album sucks <laughs> so bad. It sounded like it, I enjoyed it, it. Really? Yes. Not every single song, like I said. There's only a couple of songs, but if you say Brandon, I'm turning your mic off. No, I am not. You've stunned me into silence, my friend. I don't. Jesus, <laughs> wow, my God. Anyway, so Dead at the Whiskey is okay. It's like I didn't really make any notes from Saints of Los Angeles. I listened through it, and it was like, okay, it's this wasn't embarrassing, uh, <laughs> like Generation Swine, and that you chose anything from Generation Swine and didn't listen to Too Young to Fall in Love. What the? F- <laughs> you can say it. Taking hey. it down, taking it down oh, a notch. Listen, yes. listen, Deep listen. cleansing breaths, Derek. Deep cleansing breaths. <laughs> breathe breath. in, breathe okay. out. Okay. It's like having okay. a kid. Okay, okay. I'm back. I'm back. Anyway, right. uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's a tune that they recorded, and uh, I listened to it. <laughs> well, my track four, I am going to go with the most popular song that the band has ever recorded that was not released as a single. Of course you would. It's a fan favorite. It's played at every single concert. And it is also the title track of their second album, Shout at the Devil, track four. This song is a monster. It is huge. It is thunderous. The fact that it is still played at every show, even though it's not a single and was never released as a single, it's always been a fan favorite. Everybody in the crowd wants to scream shout over and over again. Now, with that being said, there's a cover version of the song I'd like to forget. And this is bouncing off of what Derek just said on the generation swine album. Motley Crue decided that they needed to try to stay modern against the nineties backdrop of ministry and nine inch nails and tried to do an industrial. No, version. they didn't. They didn't. That didn't happen. Brian. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those make believe things. Brian, come put on. that in the memory hole and just let it, let it burn. Oh. Let it burn. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. Brian, just, just work with me. It didn't happen. Okay, yeah, let's forget about that one because <laughs> it was so just bad. 
It, it was desperate. That's the problem. And they didn't need to be desperate. They needed to be Motley Crue. Yeah. And they weren't. They were trying to be everything they weren't. But we'll get into that later. But shout at the devil. It's a masterpiece of a Motley Crue song. And I'm actually shocked it wasn't a single. To this day, I'm shocked that they didn't consider releasing this yeah. as a single. But that's my track four. Uh, so this did not make my list, wow. but it made my honorable mention because I wanted so desperately to put the song in there and I couldn't make it fit with my slots just because it opens up like an opening track. And it was it was hard for me to hear again because I was approaching it like an album as opposed to mm-hmm. a concert, which I wish I would have thought of that. Maybe I would have been able to put this one on there because uh, there was a couple of, I had it in a couple of different places and when I would listen to it all the way through, it didn't fit. Unfortunately, because I I love this song. So there's two tracks off of Shadow of the Devil that I really wanted on this playlist that did not make it on the playlist. And this was definitely one of them. I agree with everything you said. This is a great song. And Shadow of the Devil is one of my all-time favorite records. It's on my show. Uh, you know, I effing love this record. I have done an episode on that. And it pains me that it didn't make it. And I'm sorry, Brian. I'm not sorry to Gomez. <laughs> But I am sorry to you. <laughs> well, Gomez, did it make your list? It was track six for me, actually. Okay. Now, now this is your chance to get a little bit of points back with Derek, so <laughs> tread carefully. Well, first of all, probably one of their greatest songs on that album. One of their biggest controversy albums ever, just because of the pentagram. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which was like, I guess their way of being, uh, like you said, their effing Motley crew they'll do whatever the heck they want. And, you know, that was my, as one of our old friends said, uh, no pun intended on kickstarting my second half of my show on that. So that would be my number six. Well, the one thing I want to say about the album cover controversy, and this might be a hot take, but I kind of like the alternate cover with their images on it more than the pentagram one. That was the one because I had that on cassette when I was growing up. And obviously I had the cassette version, which was that. So maybe it's just the association I had with pulling the tape out and looking at the liner lyrics on the J card. But I always felt like that album cover was a little more iconic than just the black pentagram. But I don't know. Maybe I don't I'm not sure who agrees with that one, but I would go the opposite with that just because but I also had this on cassette and I remember the J card having the uh, warning of because this was before the the PMRC warnings. Yep. But it had that warning that may contain backwards messages or something like that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and now I have this on vinyl. I found it used a million years ago. And so it has that black pentagram on it. And then what we think of as the album cover is on the inside. And I prefer the the black pentagram. And, you know, it's, again, I think just courting controversy because they, they, they didn't do anything remotely satanic. They didn't give a shit about any of that stuff. Uh, you know, they were just about, you know, drugs and girls and that, <laughs> you know, they weren't like yeah. King Diamond or Slayer or something. So, and I still just, I, I just love the simplicity of it. So there is that. But uh, I, I remember listening to that record when I was a kid and I was, it was visiting my aunt and my cousins and we were listening to it and. Uh, listening to the, obviously the opening track, which I'm sure nobody chose in the beginning. Yep. Yep. Uh, and so my aunt coming in like, what are you listening to? And, you know, so she was all upset by it. I'm like, you know, like, but, but Aunt Gail there, they're shouting at the devil, not shouting with the devil. And, and she was just like, 
<laughs> and just walked away. But not like that other band who sings "Running with the Devil." Yes, this is totally yeah. different. <laughs> totally different. Van Halen is apparently satanic, but not, not Molly. <laughs> no, no, not Molly Crew. No, definitely not. All right. Well, Derek, we're up to you for track, track five. Five. Okay. So obviously, you need a reason to flip the record over. Uh, so I want a rocker here, and I'm gonna, I think, bring up the uh, the first time Theater of Pain on this show. So we're going with Louder Than Hell. Ooh. I am not a huge fan of Theater of Pain. I was at the time, so I would probably would have been about, I don't know, 12 or 13 when that came out. And obviously the two big singles were all over MTV. But I think, because I know that the band themselves think of this as being a fairly mediocre record. I'd agree with that. I think it's a fairly mediocre record, but I think the songs that I like are, I don't know, maybe the songs they think are mediocre or something. So I like the heavier stuff on this record. And Louder Than Hell is one of the heavier songs on this record. And I know it was, I think, originally recorded for Shout of the Devil when it was still called uh, Hotter Than Hell, uh, or at least that, that you know, the, there's bonus tracks on the Shout of the Devil CD that came out, I don't know, maybe eight years ago, 10 years ago, something like that. So they had re-recorded it for this. Uh, I think the recording is fairly muddled throughout that whole record. I think the drums aren't as crisp as you find everywhere else. And if you're if you're somehow muddling Tommy Lee, who is your your MVP, I think you're doing something wrong. But this song rocks. This is going to give me a reason to to stand up and flip the record over. And I would be surprised if anybody else chose this one. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna say right there that I don't have anything from. Theater of Pain on my list, technically. Mm-hmm. And that's all I'm going to say for now. Okay. I'm just not a fan of that album. I don't know if it's the production. I don't know if it's the Brownsville Station cover that I was always lukewarm on. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just feel like it sound, it's the most dated sounding Motley Crue album. I'd agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, the, I mean, the, the production suffers. And you figure at this point, you know, Shout Out the Devil was pretty successful and this is the album really that broke them because of Home Sweet Home. Right. Uh, and and obviously the the Smoking in the Boys Room cover, which could have been great, but was they went with, oh, let's just be okay, you know? Uh, so there's like, I have a couple of tracks from that record on this one, just because that's kind of was the peak of my fandom. But yeah, I get it. It's, it, it doesn't sound great. It hasn't aged well. And I get why. You know, I didn't think anybody else was going to be choosing this one. <laughs> Gomez. Damn it. Damn it. Damn it. Well, Louder Than Hell did not make my track list. Uh, it was a good song. It, you're right. It was probably one of their heaviest, but I would probably have to give that if it was a, if I was doing a, a 15 track list, it would have been my number 12 actually. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But I do have actual two songs from this album that I truly loved. Well, are either of them track five? Cause that's what you're up with now. Yes. Actually one of them is track five. And I did go with Home Sweet Home just because it's one of their, I'll say their power ballads, actually. You know, the piano entrance, the the way he sings his song. I know we talked about Wild Side being one of his better vocal songs. I thought he did very well with Home Sweet Home, too. Probably my number one favorite song out of this album, though. Even with the video, if I remember the music video, is just showing them having fun at their concerts. You know what I mean? That was a very cliched 80s video because I think like every hair band had one of those right. ballads that was set to them having fun with heavier songs. <laughs> yeah, but I think that was the thing that it just showed another side of, of 
Motley Crue. And Brian, yeah. I, I think they started the cliche. Yeah, you're probably right, Derek. They led the pack with that one. I think they did. And of course, it was in the movie. It was definitely in the Hot Top Time Machine. It was the last part of the movie. Motley Lou, not crew. <laughs> he changed the name of it. But other than that, I thought it was just one of those great songs. I thought out of that whole album, one of the two. All right. Well, I, like I had just said earlier, do not have anything from Theater of Pain. But I went with, for track seven, the remix from Decade of Decadence. And there's a reason for that. The remix uses a grand piano for the opening, and the version on Theater of Pain uses an electric keyboard. And I just felt like it made it a completely different song when you went to a grand piano. That 80s sound that I said that I really don't like about Theater of Pain is corrected with the version they re-recorded for Decade of Decadence. And it wasn't technically a re-record. It was a remix with added parts. So a lot of it comes from the original track. This was the band's last top 40 hit. And this was back in 91. The 91 version actually reached 37. Whereas the original 1985 version only made it to 89. So it wasn't as big of a hit as the version from Decade of Decadence. And like I said, because I've listened to that cassette at the time so much growing up and now the CD, that version is always my favorite. Wait, 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 wait. That, that didn't make it past 89? The original 1985 version only made it to 89 on the chart. Seriously? Yeah. Because I'd, I'd remember that was played on MTV every 27 minutes. So that's, I, I'm I amazed. Know. I am amazed at, at how, you know, everyone's, that happens all the time where you think just because I saw it so much that it, but it maybe didn't dent the charts. And obviously that was the pre sound scan era. Mm-hmm. And I know that, uh, you know, heavy metal and country were really, um, not reported properly until SoundScan when there was actual data <laughs> and it wasn't just rec- record store clerks kind of eyeballing it. Exactly. So I'm, I'm amazed that it was that I didn't, I had no idea it was that low. I, I thought for sure that was a top 20 hit. Yeah. So honestly, so did I. And doing the research on this one is when I found that out and I had to put that in my notes because to me that was just really memorable to know that the the re-recording was a bigger hit. Yeah, that's yeah. I I didn't even know they did a re-recording. I I w- didn't realize that. Well, I'll tell you next next time you're at a CD store and you do see a copy of Decade of Decadence, I would grab it because they also remixed uh, a couple of other songs on there. Mm-hmm. Live Wire was remixed on that. Looks that Kill was remixed on it. And it just sounds a little bit different than the original recording and it's a decent track list. And, and because you don't remember primal scream, I think that one's a fantastic tune. It's, it's a great comp, especially if you just find it, you know, at a record store, I'd grab it. Okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so this one makes my, uh, my honorable mention. This was on my list for a little while, but it fell off. I don't know why. Cause you know, but you know, changing that grand piano, it's like, come on, Brian, you had to have been one of those kids that had a Casio and learn how to play. Home Sweet Home. Oh, Home yeah. Sweet Home is one of the three songs I know how to play on a keyboard. What, Axel F, Home Sweet Home, and <laughs> what's the-, the Power of Love, <laughs> Jump, and Home okay, Sweet there Home. Okay, there you go. There you go. Did you just say Power of Love? Hell, yeah, I did, man. I love that oh. song. Just you hold on to that when we do a Huey Lewis playlist wars. <laughs> you just hold on to that one. All right there, Marty McFly. <laughs> All right, my track five. I wanted to end my side with a song that just punches you in the face. And I don't feel you can have a true definitive Motley Crue playlist without acknowledging 
the fantastic self-titled album that they did with John Karabi. He brought a bluesy rasp to the band that really countered Vince Neil's vocal style. The riffs on the self-titled album were fierce and it's probably the band's heaviest album. Mm. However, this band could have benefited by changing the name. I know sometimes Band recognition is brand recognition, and I understand why they kept the band name, because there was an established fan base, but the Motley Crue self-titled album is such a departure from the sleaze metal, and it's much more aligned with Alice in Chains than it is with the glam and sleaze, and John Karabi's vocals are kind of like the way you would compare John Bush and Anthrax to Joey Belladonna. It's a bluesy rasp versus the 80s kind of high-end scream vocals that Vince Neil and Joey Belladonna would be known as. But the song that I chose from the self-titled, I was only given this album one song because I had other eras I wanted to touch on, but I had to kind of find the song that summed up the self-titled album, and I went with Hooligan's Holiday. Fantastic tune, great vocals from Karabi, a grungy riff it's a grungy motley crew which is why i say the band name might have hindered this album because it's more aligned with grunge and that movement than it is with where motley crew came from but it's a fantastic song and to me as an album side closer it's perfect for that if this was a vinyl record and this was the last song on the album it really makes you want to flip the side over and see what's coming next so i'm probably alone on this one but i'm going with hooligans holiday for track five so I didn't include anything from the, the self-titled. Uh, I hadn't listened to it since 1994, probably. And so beforehand, it's like with you guys talking about how it was clearly the best record. Uh, and I just had to listen to how wrong you guys were. So, uh, so, so I gave it a listen. And it's, it's a decent record. And John Karabi has a much better voice than Vince Neil. But that's kind of damning with faint praise. So I like what they're doing, but my biggest issue with that, listening to the whole record, which is a decent record, but you know, Mick Mars is going for a heavier guitar sound here. And as opposed to when you're talking about with grunge, it really felt a little bit more inspired by, let's say, uh, Pantera. So, cause he did, he did, okay. he did a lot okay. more with that, you know, the pitched harmonics. So there's that squeal that Dimebag Daryl was known for. And it felt like to me, so listening to that record, and again, it was just one listen you know, 20 years after the fact, but it was sort of like listening to Kiss's Revenge. Mm. And they, you know, they they heavy up the sound, but now let's say Kiss records Revenge, but then let's Bruce Kulick sing all of the songs. So there's nothing recognizable. So the guitar sound sounds different. The singer is different. Tommy Lee's still there playing the drums, but, you know, there there was no like big Tommy Lee moment. And, you know, uh, you know, Nikki Six is definitely a person who plays bass. He has a bass guitar that he does play. And that's all you can really say about Nikki Six's bass playing. But, you know, he's a great songwriter, but he is not, <laughs> he's not setting the world on fire with his bass. So it was like, it didn't sound like a Motley Crue record to me. There was nothing identifiable. And so I would agree, like if, if they would have been just called The Crew or something, you know, maybe. But it, the fact that it was Motley Crue and there was nothing identifiable about Motley Crue in it. There were some good tunes, Hooligan Holiday, which I remember because that was the single. There was a couple other tracks that I didn't unfortunately make any notes because there was one other song that I thought was pretty good, uh, but nothing that was going to bump anything out of my top 10. Okay, okay. Gomez? No, definitely not. Was not even in 
the realm of my playlist. Wow. Not one of even my favorite songs. Okay, so you know what? Maybe I'll be earning some points with the lone Motley Crue self-titled reference in my playlist. No, probably not. John Karabi's going to vote for you. Yeah, thanks, John. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, we're at the point where if you're listening to a vinyl record, you'd flip that baby over. A cassette, you'd pop it out. Make sure you tighten it with a pencil and put it in for side two, and the CD would keep on rolling. Gomez, your track six for your side B, if you want to call it that, is Shout at the Devil. So, Derek, why don't we go to you for your track six? All right, so we're flipping the record over. You need a reason for people to keep on listening. If you don't catch them with this first song, the needle's coming up, a different record's going on. I need another big open. We're going with Live Wire. So off the uh, opening or after the debut record, and this has just dirty guitar riffs. I mean, I could see like, if you were going to do a covers record uh, with different bands like Motorhead, I think could have done this song because it's just got that guitar tone. This was one of their first singles. This is where I think where you see Nikki Six get lit on fire. And this song rocks. This is a great song. If you guys don't have this on your list, sorry. Gomez? No, it's not on my list, but... Another, it would be my number 13 on my 15 track list of these guys. I'll give you that then. Well, it did make mine. And it is my track nine. As you're closing things down, you want to hit people with a one-two punch that they're going to remember the band by if it was a concert. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those anthemic Motley Crue songs. It is everything I love about Too Fast for Love. It is a down and dirty Mick Mars riff. There are three versions of this song that circulate. One of them, the original leather records mix, which is very hard to find. If you could find that on vinyl, you're sitting on a nice, nice heap of cash, but it is very hard to find. You can look it up on YouTube. Then when Electra signed the band, they remixed it for the Too Fast for Love album that most of us own. And then, as I've mentioned several times on this episode, the Decade of Decadence, there's a kick-ass 91 remix. People all have definitive versions of this song that they like. For me personally, I'm a fan of the Electra Records version because I listened to that cassette so much I wore it out growing up. The Leather Records mix is fine. I, I, it's slightly different than the Electra one. The Kick-Ass 91 remix is probably the only remix on Decade of Decadence that I don't prefer because they kind of slathered it in that overly reverb drum sound mm. which i almost feel like took some of the heft out of the song compared to the original where the drums were drier and it just felt more down and dirty and i again people have their favorites that one is a little bit more subjective because it's more just a mix thing mm -hmm. but for cover versions there's two interesting ones uh oh fozzy who's a band that features wrestling superstar Chris Jericho on vocals, along with members of Stuck Mojo, covered the song on their 2000 debut. It's actually pretty damn good. And I keep going back to that Nashville Outlaw as a tribute to Motley Crue album, but the other song that I really gravitate to on that is the Cadillac 3 does a funky country swamp rock version of Livewire, where they totally revamped the song and made it completely different than the original. So they brought their creative juices to the song, and it's so different. I like it for what they brought to it. So those are two cover versions. I could not do a Motley Crue playlist without it. It's it's an anthem, and 
yeah, that's all I got to say on that one. Just so you know, for all the video game guys who do love playing video games, there's actually uh, in uh, NBA 2K20, actually. Okay. And in one of uh, Tony Hawk's uh, skateboarding games, too. So that song did make a lot of rounds. All right. Track six for me, which, believe it or not, we're already at a point where I'm closing out my playlist. So I'm I'm bowing out of this one early once again, folks. But my track six, I went with the title track from Saints of Los Angeles. The band has three albums post the self-titled. Generation Swine. Ugh. Exactly. New Tattoo, which featured Ozzy's drummer, Randy Castillo, in place of Tommy Lee. Yeah. Mm. And Saints of Los Angeles. Out of all three of those albums, Saints of Los Angeles is above and beyond the best song from all three of those albums. Saints of Los Angeles, to me, feels like an 80s-era Motley Crue song that was put out in the 2000s. They were able to find their place on that album and that song, to me, fits in with their earlier stuff. Kind of the way that some of the songs on Death Magnetic for Metallica fit in with some of their 80s output. It was just kind of a flash in the pan moment because there's not much of value after the self-titled album. So Saints of Los Angeles is my track six. Damn you. That was my actual track nine, Brian. Okay. When we were talking about the Saints of Los Angeles album before, I said it was one of the two, uh, two of their best songs out of that album. I had a feeling this was going to be the other one, dude. Yeah. And I thought this was probably the strongest besides Down at the Whiskey. I felt it was like their comeback song almost oh, yeah. in 2008. Because they really, again, their post albums, I feel like in the 90s, were not some of their greatest stuff. I don't think. That's me talking, though. <laughs> You're not going to get a lot of arguments on that one. <laughs> so, I mean, when I heard the opening guitar riff and the way that he sang the song, it was truly a good rock song at that time for 2008 for them to come back on. Now, Derek, while I would love to say that Saints of Los Angeles gets a trifecta here, I'm guessing my odds are not very good. Uh, no, no, you're, they're, they're not. There's nothing from, from the Saints of Los Angeles on my list. Bummer. Any thoughts on the song, though? Again, I, I listened to the whole record all the way through just the one time. That one didn't make any specific impression on me. I was listening to it in my headphones just a moment ago. It's, it seems like an okay tune, but uh, yeah, no, no that, really nothing. I, I have one song on Dr. Feelgood and absolutely nothing after that. So, yeah. I, and and I, that's a, that's a, again, another way you can approach Motley Crue. There's this three different ways we're coming from here. And I like where we're going with this. So track seven, mine is taken with home sweet home 91. So Derek, you and Gomez get to duke out the rest of your track lists here. Cause once again, I'm tapped out, but I'll, uh, I'll be sure to chime in, but there's no other chance for trifectas here. So Derek, track seven. Okay. So for, uh, for track seven, so we're, we're talking uh, side two, song two. Uh, this is where I feel you want to put something maybe just a little bit different. And so for that, now, you know, Motley Crue really doesn't get very experimental. Uh, but this particular song, I feel, has a slightly different sound and feel. And that's Dancing on Glass Ooh. from Girls, Girls, Girls. You know, so this one is it's, it's slinky and it's bluesy. A lot of those 80s metal guys, you know, kind of had that, you know, they, they got their blues through Led Zeppelin, let's say. And they didn't really do much with that uh, as far as Motley Crue. But, you know, this has like really bleak lyrics. This is another time. Nikki Six is talking about his issues with heroin and 
Uh, you know, it, the whole point is that he's never going back. But this still has the line, like, I'm no pauper. I engrave my veins with style, which seems like a very weird time to brag about how good the heroin you used to do was. <laughs> <laughs> and how much money he actually spent on them. Yeah, yeah. So, and this is a, another time where I feel like Vince Neil's really bringing the vocals. It's, I think, is a, is a really good tune, and I think just a little bit different. It's not completely different, but a little bit different from a lot of what they were doing, you know, historically. Let's say so. Another one off of Girls, Girls, Girls. I think the, only this one in uh, Wild Side made my my list from that album. Obviously, it didn't make my list because I am closed out here. It's one of the best songs on Girls, Girls, Girls. I feel like. In the initial era of Vince Neil, Theater of Pain is probably the worst album. Mm -hmm. Girls, 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 slightly above it. Yeah. So there's a lot of filler on Girls, 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 especially the Jailhouse Rock cover at the end, which I still don't understand. (sighs) Yeah, so bad. Why? Even even 10-year-old me didn't get it. Like, why are they doing Elvis? But that's a... Nothing compares to the fact that they covered Like a Virgin on the Dirt soundtrack. So the fact that they did that made me forgive Jailhouse Rock because I I have no idea what kind of drugs they were doing to think that a cover of Like a Virgin would have been a good fit. Dude, they weren't even on drugs at that point anymore. It makes you wonder. Maybe it was Rogaine. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Rogaine with Minoxidil? <laughs> I have no idea. But there's something about Girls, Girls, Girls that just is off for me. This is one of those songs that isn't. This does fit with the best of Motley Crue, but just didn't make my list, obviously. Yeah. Gomez? Obviously, it did not make my list because I didn't think it was the best song out of that whole album either. I don't know. It just wasn't me. All right. Well, with your track seven, then, what do you have? Uh, track seven for me is actually uh, Spoken in the Boys Room. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, uh, this, this song brings back a little memory for me. Let's date back to good old SMHS a little bit. You might have. I didn't. Oh, well, again, (laughs) smoking in the boys room. There was a time in high school where all the wonderful, good little Catholic school boys and girls were smoking in the bathrooms back in the day. And listening to the song just brought me back to it a little bit. Everyone would come back with this high smell of perfume, you know, trying to cover the smoke (laughs) smell. And this is my track seven. I had to go with it. Brings back some good memories at that time. I don't hate it. I enjoyed it when I was a kid. It hasn't aged well for me. As I grew to hear the original by Brownsville Station, I realized that Motley Crue really didn't bring too much to their version. It was a little bit more paint by numbers than one would think. And it hasn't held up over the years. But as a kid, I you know, obviously gravitated to this song because it was one of the heavy rotation videos on MTV. And I remember watching it all the time, but just as the years have gone on, it hasn't held that same allure with me as it did as, as young me watching MTV. Derek, I could say everything exactly like you just said it, Brian. So just kind of process it. So your vocals sound like my vocals. (laughs) (laughs) I have nothing else to add to that because that's that's exactly the same thing. All right. Well, track eight, we're moving right along here. Derek and I are locked with looks that kill Gomez. What did you flip out for track three? That was originally in this place that you switched looks at kill during the episode. Now I want to know. And what closes out your playlist? Well, my number eight is girls, girls, girls. 
I'll tell you why. Uh, uh, the sound of the revving engine of the motorcycle, and it brings me back to my younger ages of 21 and older and partying and going to the strip clubs. <laughs> and I will say it. <laughs> I heard that song so many times at a strip club. I was just about to say that's one of those ones where I, I, I having never been to one ever um, and being a good <laughs> Unimpressionable. I'm assuming Brian's wife is standing directly behind him right <laughs> role now. Model, <laughs> role model of a person. I I detest. I detest and loathe the meaning that people have put on this song. Now, you're right. Who hasn't heard it at a strip club? I mean, I'm sure it's being played at some strip club right now. This and it exact doesn't matter second. when you listen to this episode. Yes. Yeah. Anytime yes. you listen, this song is being played. It's five o'clock somewhere for Jimmy Buffett. It's girls, girls, girls somewhere for a strip club in the world. Oh yeah. my God. And I, I DJed at a strip club my right before my senior year of college. So it was the summer between my junior and senior year, and I was a, a part-time DJ at a strip club. Nice. And uh, I had to I had to play this song more than once. Let's just say that. An hour. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's when I heard it. It was just one of those fun fact songs, man. I, I just, it just brings you back to those days a little bit, you know, uh, spending a little too much money, drinking a little too hard and pretending you're like freaking Motley effing crew. <laughs> so, you know, that's my, that's my track eight. It's a catchy tune. I, I give you that. And this is one that probably could have been my track three, putting in the commercial single there. I don't necessarily like the song, but I don't dislike it. I get the appeal. And like you said, like, and that's another time this was, kind of the, the last moment I was still a Motley Crue fan. And this was another video that was all over MTV. And it's a fun tune. It's not one that I'm going to queue up anytime soon. But if it's on, I'm probably not going to change it, you know? Yeah. To me, when I hear Wild Side, I have to hear Girls, Girls, Girls follow it up. I feel like that's a really good one-two punch <laughs> to open up a Motley Crue album. Sure. And again, the drums in it, it's Tommy Lee with his excessive use of the hi-hat and, and the stuff that he's doing in the song, mm. it's very in-your-face, pun intended. Sure. And it's just the song that everybody associates with Motley Crue. It's probably the first song that when you say to somebody, name a Motley Crue song, they'd probably come up with. Yeah, probably. Probably. This, this is the first concert I ever went to was uh, Motley Crue's uh, Girls, Girls, Girls tour in 1988, like February something, 88 in Jacksonville. Uh, went there and Guns N' Roses was the opening band. Wow. The only time I ever saw Guns N' Roses, they were opening. Wow. Uh, and so they opened up for this show. And uh, this is when uh, Tommy Lee's drum kit did the 360. So it was, mm -hmm. I, think I think it was before the, the roller coaster, but after just the high rise. And at the end of the show, they had a bunch of balloons come down that had, you know, girls, girls, girls on it. So that was my, my initial concert ever. And it was because at, at the time I was a huge, huge Motley Crue fan. And I walked out of there a huge Guns N' Roses fan. Actually, I bought their T-shirt at the show. Well, hey, you were on to something, man, because Guns N' Roses after that tour exploded. Yeah, it was a little bit later. So I, I saw that in February. So I remember going to school with the Guns N' Roses t-shirt the next day and nobody had heard of, not very many people had heard of the band at that point. And I got a bunch of shit for it because I, I went to, I, you know, I was one of the few dudes with long hair and I was one of the few people listening to heavy metal at the time. Uh, at, at my school, I went to school in Daytona Beach. So there's a lot of surfers, a lot of people listening to more like kind of hang tender, dude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then that summer they released Sweet Child of Mine. 
and so then when I came to school the next year wearing the Guns N' Roses t-shirt, a bunch of people were like, oh, I love those guys. It's like, you <laughs> gave me shit last year for wearing that t-shirt, you know? So yeah, it was one of those kind of moments. That was like the first time I had that, you know, a band that I knew that nobody knew. Now everybody knew moments and Guns yep, N' Roses yep. was one of the first ones for me that with that. Awesome. Well, what we've got now is two playlists closed, Gomez and me. Yep. And Derek, you've got two picks to go, which we know for a fact won't be trifectas, <laughs> but let's let's go through them here. Let's start with your track nine. Okay. So uh, with track nine, so like I said, with uh, with track eight, this is where you could kind of hide a bad song, but I wanted to put a rocker here. So with track nine, I want to just step down just a little bit in tempo. So I went with uh, Tonight, We Need a Lover, also from uh, Theater of Pain. Uh, this one also could have been Save Our Souls, which I didn't choose because I thought Gomez would choose because it was in the movie Night of the Demons, or sometimes mm. just known as Demons. And you know, you picked the most obvious movies, and you not only let me down by not choosing this song, but by not even you know because it was another, it was a, a more obscure movie. So, uh, so Gomez, <laughs> pick up your <laughs> game, my friend. Pick up your game is what I'm saying. Pick up my game. Damn, I brought out a 1987 classic. <laughs> Come on. No, I don't bet you no one was like, like, father, like, son, what movie was that? Yeah, you chose a Kurt Cameron movie as opposed to a movie called Night of the Demons. All right. So I'm saying, yeah, pick up your game, I'm- pick up your game. All right. So, but I didn't choose it either. So I, I probably shouldn't say too much. So, uh, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. so busting my, my chops. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't even pick it. No, no, no. no. So I went with tonight. We need a lover. So I, I think this one is like, a, it's a mid tempo rocker. It's one of the, again, there, this was one of the two songs that I chose from uh, Theater of Pain. Uh, it's another one. I, I think the song is great. Nobody else chose it. So I'm going to just go on to my track 10. And, <laughs> oh, hold on. I, I was oh, going to say, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. is your, is your track nine? Uh, you said this is the last one you're picking from theater of pain, theater of pain, correct? Yep. Correct. Okay. The, what I, the only thing I'll say about tonight, we need a lover. The song I would have picked over that one is actually city boy blues. Cause I really enjoy that tune. Um, but that's again, a little bit more of a, a bluesy song. A, well, obviously the name, but there's just something about that riff in that song that I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And tonight we need a lover is just, if it's on, I'll listen to it, but I don't find myself going to that one, but I don't hate the song. If that makes any sense. Oh no, that makes perfect sense. So for me, it theater of pain really comes down to save our souls tonight. We need a lover. And the other one that I chose, and then of course, uh, home sweet home, which is again, an, an okay tune. So uh, and I think everything else on like because City Boy Blues is okay, and I think there's again it's another one that just doesn't sound great because of the recording. Just you know what? I actually think a remix of that would have probably done the album well because they obviously did it with Decade of Decadence and Home Sweet Home, and look at the success they had with it. So I think the music's there, but I think the kind of the recording quality suffers a little bit. Yeah. I'd agree. So with that being said, now that I interrupted you, apologies there. Why don't you close things out with your track 10, Derek? Okay. So, uh, and then my track 10, uh, and I'm going to say this because my my buddy Eric Schmidt will definitely be listening to the show because uh, he's a huge heavy metal fan and he listens to all of my podcasts and I'm a sucker for a solo closer uh, or at least as close as we can get with, uh, with Motley Crue and still being a good song. So I close with Starry Eyes wow. from the opening. Yeah. Yeah, so this is like the closest they come to a ballad on that first record. Uh, I mean, it, and it's still kind of in that you know punky metal vein. And it's it's a little bit of a a little bit slower, 
It's uh, as close as they would come to a ballad on that. And there's really nothing that we would think of as a traditional ballad on Shout Out the Devil, uh, unless you want to count Danger, which is a, you know, a love song to yeah. the, the city of Los Angeles. But there's nothing that we would think of as a ballad on that. And this is as close as they come. Uh, I don't really like any of the ballads that they do after that. So it, it for a little while, Home Sweet Home was here at the number 10. Uh, but I decided to go with uh, with Starry Eyes. Interesting, interesting. I'm actually surprised, given your love for the first album, that a song like Too Fast for Love didn't make it. I love that record. And, and to bring up the dirt, after watching that, and which I thought was okay, it, it had some moments. That's one of those where I thought they tried to do too much with too little time. I wish they would have yep, yep. really focused 100%. on a specific era as opposed to trying to do everything. You know, Unless they were going to do you know, 10 episodes, if they want to do a movie, choose your moments, fellas, is all I'm saying. But, uh, you know, after watching that, man, I went back and listened to the first record a lot. As much as I, I love Shout Out the Devil, as I still say, that's really one of my all-time favorites. You know, Walking Away from the Dirt, I just listened to Too Fast for Love over and over and over for probably a good month. Uh, so there was a lot of those songs that were in my head. Uh, and again, I wanted to kind of, I, I liked, I like when an album, again, not thinking about a concert, but thinking about an album, I really, I, I love that slow closer. And so while Starry Eyes is not exactly slow, it's, it's probably as close to a traditional ballad as you're going to see on those first two records. Awesome. Awesome. Obviously didn't make my list. It's a great tune. Mine. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Didn't make either of our lists, but it's a great tune. And we have three fairly different playlists here to go from tonight and three different takes on on how to approach motley crew so derek why don't we start with you why don't you walk us through your playlist track one through track 10 so everybody can hear it in its entirety and then we'll move right along here okay so track one take me to the top track two wild side track three kickstart my heart track four too young to fall in love track five louder than hell Track six, Live Wire. Track seven, Dancing on Glass. Track eight, Looks That Kill. Track nine, Tonight We Need a Lover. And track 10, Starry Eyes. Gomez? Track one, Kickstart My Heart. Track two, Dr. Feelgood. Track three, Looks That Kill. Track four, Down at the Whiskey. Track five, Home Sweet Home. Track six, Shout at the Devil. Track seven, uh, Smoking in the Boys Room. Track eight, Girls, Girls, Girls. Track nine, Saints of Los Angeles. And track 10, Wild Side will end it for me. All right. And flipping Gomez's one and 10, my track one was Wild Side. Track two, Primal Scream. Track three, Dr. Feelgood. Track four, Shout at the Devil. Track five, Hooligans Holiday. Track six, Saints of Los Angeles. Track seven, Home Sweet Home 91 from the Decade of Decadence album. Track eight, Looks the Kill. Track nine, Live Wire. And track 10, Kickstart My Heart. Three very different playlists with three trifectas tonight in Wild Side, Looks the Kill, and Kickstart My Heart. Derek, our good friend from IF and Love This Record podcast, why don't you let people know where they can find your show if they want to check it out and listen to some of the episodes that you've done? 
Oh, sure. That would be great. So uh, I have my own website. So you could go to uh, lovethisrecord.com. And that has everything that I've ever done. So all of my uh, episodes there. You can also find the secondary podcast that I do, uh, which I like to refer to as my uh, slightly self-indulgent solo side project called Album Side, where I listen to uh, one side of vinyl and drink a beer. Uh, Because there is music going on in the background, I don't actually post that anywhere else. So it's only found on my website uh, and anywhere you find podcasts. You know, I'm on uh, I'm on all of the the major podcast hosting. It's uh, I effing love this record, um, and you can find me there. And you can listen and rate and review and enjoy. And now's the part of the show where those listening can click the link in our show notes and vote for which one of these three Motley Crue playlists you think is the best. You can also listen to each one of these playlists all the way through through the links in the show notes. And now we turn it over to you guys to vote for the winner of this awesome Motley Crew episode. Oh, guys, I can't thank you enough for being on the show tonight, Derek. Thank you so much, Brian. As usual, my partner in crime always does a fantastic job, uh, except when I can beat him in saying a cover song uh, for a band once in a blue moon that <laughs> rarely happens. You jumped on that before I had the chance, man. That was bad form on your man, part. That I was, know, that was a dirty shot, man. Hey, listen, you did a dirty shot on me on last episode. <laughs> so let's not go there. Uh, can't thank you guys enough. And to the listeners, yes, as Brian said, let's vote to see who has the best playlist. Please vote for me. <laughs> on that note, keep listening to Playlist Wars. We got another battle coming for you guys really soon. Thank you, and we'll talk to you soon. You can find Playlist Wars on Facebook and Twitter at Playlist Wars, on Instagram at Playlist Wars Podcast, on email at playlistwars at gmail.com or via voicemail at 201-644-6498. That's 201-644-6498. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave a five-star review and be sure to tell a friend or multiple friends about the show. Until next time, thanks for listening. (laughs) 